I'm, I will say I've ended up feet first on the surface a couple times. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessive's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 163 is recorded live May 30th, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson from the part of the state where we almost go diving. And this week we have joining us, I have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Uh, doing pretty good. Excellent. And we also have, again on the East Coast, Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm good, thank you. And we have just a few articles in the news, as we are known to do, so we're going to jump right on into those. First one up is in the category of barely show qualified, but there is scuba in it, so we have to talk about it. Newton's fire services responds to a fire, but they are unable to save the home. There's a reported house fire on Brown Bridge Road, and within uh, three minutes Sunday morning, it was still too late to save. Fire was a 1,500-square-foot modular home. The call came in at 849. The firefighters on the scene by 852. Now, Jim, being a volunteer fireman, is is that common for a three-minute response? That's extremely quick for a volunteer firefighter. Extremely quick. You'd almost have to be in the truck idling and it'd be across the road. <laughs> well, actually, it was right next. I was going to say it's got to be right next door to the station, or somebody uh, was at the station. Yeah, they said the fire units found heavy smoke and flames showing. Occupants of the house had been awakened by noises and found the hallway and back rooms full of smoke and fire. Chief also said there was explosion that occurred during the fire. And what do you think the cause was? The occupants. Well, it's a dive explosion. I'm curious about that. Yep. The occupant- this is a scuba related or discussions uh, must have been some tanks. Yep. The the residents had a dive air cylinder, and one of the cylinders heated up enough to cause the explosion. The value of the residence with its contents was estimated to be about $90,000. So the fires quickly put under control, but the structure had smoke and water damage throughout the entire residence. It appears it'll be deemed a total loss by the insurance company. So is does that mean that we should store our tanks a certain location? I, mean, I would that, have thought the pressure disc would have exploded or, you know, the increase in pressure. It would have burst yeah. before the tank exploded. Yeah, the burst disc should have gone before the tank went. Yeah. So, well, how about, you know, even if a burst disc goes, it's going to sound like an explosion squeal. And if it goes the fire around it, all that air, or if it were nitrox, even more so, it's certainly going to feed the fire. Yeah. Well, how about those tanks that are at Wolf's? What's the story behind those? Have you seen those? How do you mean? Well, I mean, those are completely burst open. Oh, th- those were forced to break. Those were forced. Oh, okay, so so that was for training. Somebody, they, they probably uh, over, you know, uh, compromised the burst disc so it would explode? Yeah, yeah, that was an intentional, I believe, of what they did. Okay, yeah, because those are ripped right open, almost like a banana. 
And if you use a penny instead of a burst disc, you've got a good chance of that happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a penny is a little beyond the uh, what they call for in those. But hey, it worked in a fuse box. <laughs> I have never done that. And also, I, I hear you don't want to do the uh, 22 in the uh, car fuse box either. Absolutely not. Well friend of the show who's been on and we need to get on we've talked about it a few times and he's agreed to come on we just need to work out the details we have jim elliott of dive heart is named humanitarian of the year he received the prestigious humanitarian of the year award last week in the west suburban philanthropic philanthropic network dive heart is a non-profit organization that provides scuba diving instruction and opportunities to children's adults and veterans with disabilities he founded the organization in 2001 leaving a career in media to become a full-time volunteer for the organization. The award was presented during the 11th Annual Awards Luncheon. The award was presented to him by Evelyn Flippes of Lake Villa. The 15-year-old who has spinal bifida was introduced to scuba diving by Diveheart through Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. Yeah, we, we definitely... Well, what's that? I did at Our World Underwater this year and did mention that you'd be interested in getting a hold of him again for another presentation or uh, an interview. Yeah, yeah, we need to get them on. We just need to do that. Get off my butt and call some, make some phone ring. And then let's see, we've got two men in scuba gear sighted for poaching abalone in the marine protected area near Laguna Beach. Make sure chat room has a copy of this. The California Fish and Wildlife officials say they sighted two men for poaching abalone on the protected area near Laguna Beach. Lieutenant Eric Ford says Warden saw 47-year-old Juni Pong and 47-year-old Quan Lee wearing full scuba gear as they entered the ocean at Moss Grove in Laguna Beach. After more than an hour, the men emerged from the ocean and were greeted by wardens on the beach. They each allegedly had two green abalone in their diving gear. Ford says abalone turned over to the sea after being photographed for evidence and her diving equipment was confiscated and impounded as evidence. Abalone can be taken from waters north of San Francisco Bay and only during specific seasons. So they're in an area where you just don't get to do it by the sounds of it. And it sounds like they're really watching that area too. Yeah. Well, it makes you wonder, I mean, was this just a random check or did somebody tip them off? Because an hour seems like a long time to go wait for somebody to come out unless they had other things they were doing and it's just a convenient and they were there. Yeah. Now let's see. They, they so they were two green abalone in their diving gear. So they don't they don't say where it was. You know, it wasn't as you know in the wetsuit or in a catch bag. <clears throat> that seems like a very expensive venture for a for a small little uh, shell. Yeah, yeah. You you uh, get a little mark on your record. Plus you lose all your gear. It's an expensive weekend. Did you know that uh, green abalone can live up to 30 years or more? No, I didn't. Well, they can. <laughs> That's just your, your trivia trivia fact for today. I wouldn't think they would live that long. I guess it. I know that some things. Well, you, you can find them normally about 30 feet, but you can find them all the way down to 60 feet. So it's probably the deeper they are, the older they are. I'm not sure. Maybe they'll be less likely to get taken by a diver. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking that sometimes that's the way it works in the sponges. When they yeah. they said the sponges that were deeper didn't grow as quick. And, the only time uh, I've ever seen them is uh, when I was in San Francisco. And during the weekends, the guys would go diving for abalone. Now, the abalone, that's, more, that's like a muscle, isn't it? 
well, they feed mostly on uh, drift algae and uh, what they call fleshy red algae is what they really like to eat. They're herbivores. But, I mean, as far as if I'm going to catch one, the reason I'm catching it is because I want to eat it. Yes. I mean, sea otters love them. Starfish like them. Octopus like them. And so do humans. So they're, they're, they're in the taste good and butter category. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's the shells about, are very pretty. Just about everything tastes good and butter. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap a little bacon around it and we're all set. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Here you go. <laughs> butter, bacon. Let's see. What's the other food group? Ice cream? <laughs> Donuts? <laughs> Let's see if we can fit those all together. And then we have the first ever underwater university lectures. Students at the University of Essex have taken lectures to a whole new level, 18 meters under the sea. The groundbreaking underwater marine biology lectures were the first of their kind, adding to teaching, education, learning experience during dives on coral reef systems. They're held during an annual field trip in Indonesia, organized by the University School of Biology Study for its students. They're researching what is threatening the future of the world's coral reefs. For the underwater lectures, Professor David Smith uses specialized audio equipment so he could talk to students underwater explaining exactly what they're seeing as they were seeing it. This is a world away from the usual underwater communication involving basic slates to write on. Huh, they don't, they well, don't, as long as we stay, say, as long as we stay in relatively shallow, that setup you had seems like that would work pretty good. Well, I'm trying to figure out, do you, do you see where they say what he's doing? I'm looking. Is it just a speaker? Yeah, but he... Well, no, the way he, he used a full-face setup, and he used the uh, TV-quality material. Uh-huh. So he had a full-face mask, which had the microphone, and the students didn't have microphones. They just had headsets. And then they used a hydrophone, which is that underwater microphone, mm-hmm. positioned it into a water that, into, in the water, which is linked to a control box and the recorder on the boat. Oh, okay. So he was narrating, and then they, he had pre-recorded stuff that would be played. And they said uh, had over a thousand videos taken during the underwater lectures, adding up to 15 hours of footage. Wow, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I wonder what that class cost. <laughs> yeah, any class where you have to go to Indonesia, I'm sure, is included in your basic tuition. Well, that picture really looks nice. If that's where they were at, I mean, you're talking about warm, tremendously good visibility. I don't see any dry suits in the bunch. No, don't think you'd have to have one. And then Mac here will we'll paste this one in. I don't think you've got this one, this article. Jim found it. And uh, see what you make of that side scan sonar image. It's a grainy image taken just offshore of a remote South Pacific island. And I think it could be the, mer- the remains of Amelia Earhart's plane. I'd like to see a little uh, <laughs> less grainy item. I think the pixels were really up there. Yeah, that's really zoomed in on. In fact, they might be so zoomed in on that it's less clear at this resolution than it would be if it was zoomed out a little bit. Because at that, I mean, that looks like everything we see on the sonar. <laughs> and then well, from what we know, if you take a wave wrong or turn too sharp, you could have something like that. It looks like a stick. Yeah, they said so far the harder we look. If they're using a fish, it could certainly be different. But, you know, it, it's, as they said, they need to go back and take a second look at that one. 613 yeah. feet down, that's, that's that's pretty deep, depending on, you know, how deep they've got their fish going. And i got to believe in that type of water environment, they're going to get a lot of uh, backscatter and problems with thermocline. Uh, so the object's measure is estimated to be 32 feet long. 
and they said the fuselage was almost 32 feet long, but evidence points to a trailing debris field. The fuselage record should be more likely account for the difference. They said, whatever it is, it's worth another look, which it's which sure it is, but I don't know if I would really have published that. Makes makes me think that they're in need of funding. That's just what I was thinking. They may be, you know, doing trying to uh, drive <clears throat> some interest and some potential funders. Because yeah, I think they've gone annually the last two or three years. Let's see, do they say when this was taken? I didn't notice that. Yeah, so what they're doing is they're saying uh, uh, they're doing this in Repu- the Republic of Karabati, a sovereign nation which Moro Moro is part of, and they granted uh, the group exclusive rights to conduct a search, search and recover operations related to the disappearance. So... Yeah, that other photo they show down there, I wonder if that's optically enhanced somehow. That one actually looks a little better. <laughs> of course, who know, yeah, they may have drawn, drawn on that. Oh, you're, you're probably not even seeing me. I followed the link over to their uh, to the Earhart Project website. All right, let me go over there, too. I was curious what you were talking about. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm about two links through that. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what they continue to come up with. I'm sure if they find it, it's going to be all over the news. And if it is, you heard it here first. Yeah. Wow. Well, that would be one of the mysteries to solve, wouldn't it? Well, it'd be a good one to solve. I mean, if you could solve it. But the thing with that one, see, they're working on the premise, and and this one's been probably going on for 10 or 15 years, if not longer. Uh, Because you talk to the natives there, and they they talked about that there was a plane, and it used to be in the water, and there's photos from the time where you can see something that looks like a plane sitting in there, and, and you keep hearing stories and stories and this is the one i think where they found bones and artifacts on the island okay i remember that from last year yeah so they're, they're trying to piece all this stuff together and it would really help if they found something a little bit more conclusive yeah yeah well, i could i could dig into that for a while but let's go ahead and take a look at the next one so if you if you want something where we actually do know where it's at we have a World War II, not World War II, World War I U-boat in Lake Michigan. And this one's been... Talking, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, this one's been known for a while. We talked about this one a number of times, and yep. they brought it back into the news again. Yep, so this one was reported in Chicago on uh, one of the TV stations, ABC7. got a good depth on it, though, this time. Yeah, this is the first time I think I've, I've heard anybody mm-hmm. mention the depth. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was uh, sunk. It's a UC-97. It was sunk in June 1921, was towed 20 to 30 miles off Highland Park. The USS Wilmet was brought within range and fired her four guns. Four-inch guns. Oh, four guns. Four-inch guns. Okay. Uh, it fired about 15 shots, hit her at water level, and she went down pretty quick. And it was because of the uh, treaty, not our treaty, was it the armistice? Was the reason that the Treaty of Versailles that they had to uh, sink it? Now, are we breaking the treaty if we bring it up? No, because it was destroyed. Okay, so it was sunk. So there were actually three that came over with that one, and UC ninety seven was the one that got to go through the all of Lake Michigan on that bond tour. Uh huh. And they tried to sell it or give it away to the museum at that time. They didn't want it. Oh, okay. Because because in this story they make it sound like. It had to be destroyed, but... No, no, they tried to uh, find a home for it. Nobody wanted it. They used it for fire practice. 
Oh, well, so it would have, I don't know if it would have been cheaper. You've seen pictures on it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, uh, Mac, have you watched the video on this? The video that they supplied for the, the news article is the best video I've seen of it. You need to post that in the website or in the chat room. Oh, we haven't, I didn't post that one in there? Here we go. Yeah, that is definitely worth watching the video. Yeah, that's a good video. So it's all the, the one shot that shows the hole inside of it was real good. Yeah. And so the, the person who found it, uh, his team had spent five years looking for it. And when they finally found it, uh, they, they're the ones who've been bringing up planes. They brought one up this last, I think it was last fall, wasn't it? When they brought that last plane up. Yeah. It's one that's going to be restored. Yeah. So they brought up a few of the planes and now they're, uh, they want to bring up the submarine. They figure it's going to be $50 million to bring it up and restore it. Yeah, they're they're looking for sponsors also. Yeah, but yeah, I think that would be a lot to raise on the uh, on uh, yeah Kickstarter. Yeah, it's a little bit more than a Kickstarter. But I think well, I've, it's not the because it's not the fifty million that they're really concerned about. It's how are you going to maintain it and how much money will it take to get it in a presentable condition. Yeah. Well, my thought is that you work with the Museum of Science and Industry, who has the World War II one. Yeah, they've, the 505. Yeah, they've got enough room there where you could build another building just like that one, and then you double the exhibit. <clears throat> I mean, that to me would make the most sense. Now, when did they say... When did they say what? When did they say they found that boat? Is it in, in the that 90s. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it was found by Taurus Lesko yeah. and, and, and uh, Al Olson in 1992. Yeah, they said they found it in the 90s. Yeah, it was in 1992. And I think that's uh, that Lyensko. Uh, he's, he's the one who's trying to get the money now. Yeah, because if you look at the videos of it, you'll find uh, no coagas on it. Yeah, he There's says no muscles on that video. He says the value to the city and the state and county is, is, far, is a far multiplier. It's an exponential multiplier of value. So they figure you know, more than 10 to 1 the value the, the city and state would get from it. Well, I know the Navy still owns it, and they would be hard-pressed to prove anything unless there is a, what they call a very adequate preservation fund mm-hmm. available. Otherwise, they will not approve it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to expect that what you do is you, you have to partner with your museum. You know, if you get the science and industry to, to say, yeah, they do it, and what you'd have to do for that would be to not only get the money to restore it, but to get them some sort of annuity that would help pay for the maintenance. Now, it was that interesting. In 1998, these, these guys had an article almost similar to what you see here, and they estimated at that time it would require between a million and a million and a half to get it up and get it to the uh, museum. Preservation is what would cost the majority of the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, upwards of $50 million. So I wonder if he's got, I mean, do they have any money already set up for it? I don't give a whole lot of details. Don't know. Let's do a quick consult the great internet. There is a uh, society, I believe, for that one also. Well, that's what I was hoping to find. Oh, you'll find on. a lot of reference to it when you look at the Eastland Memorial Society. That's when you'll find reference to the 97. What's going on with Google all of a sudden? Here we go. Huh. Can't get Google to come up. Here we go. Okay. Would be an interesting diet, especially if it were shallower. You'd have a lot of people out there for that one. <laughs> Seems now, like if you could hook onto it and just drag it over to our side. <laughs> that's what I was, water. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was, I was like, well, maybe we won't raise it. <coughs> just kind of 
pull it and right. drift it over a little bit. Yeah. That's what mm. I well, I don't know how it got there. Yeah. It's the current. <laughs> the current. Yeah. That's, that's kind of somewhat buoyant. Yeah. Just patch those holes, put a little air in it, just give it a little positive, and drag that little sucker. Yeah. So there's a, there's a AL recovery. Let me paste this. A and, link. T, re- A and T recovery. Yeah. So let me give that link out. So this must be the other stuff he's done. Yeah, that's got some good good photos. World War II, yep. UC-97. Now, what, the, you see the interesting bit about the Wilmette, what that was before it was the Wilmette? Yes. If you've been <laughs> to the presentation that we give on what lies beneath, you'll have all that information. What lies beneath? Oh, that video had much better yeah, photos. The presentation we put it out. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just giving that's you a hard time. That's one of our uh, presentation talk about. Very cool. Okay, well, that does it for Scuba in the News. We have a couple of potential scuba gear links. Some may say these are in the cool category. First one up is underwater headphones that transmit head, headphones. Did I say that right? Headphones. Headphones. <laughs> underwater headphones transmit sound through your cheekbones. God, that just that sounds painful for some reason. I um, said if you're really addicted to being in the water and can't be without sound, then these are headphones to try. Everything's in pounds here, so it's uh, pick them up for about 98 pounds, which would probably be about about 240 bucks or so. Uh, they have two gigs of storage. I said the sound was actually pretty decent. The only disadvantage I see is that they're only good to 10 feet, so not quite cool scuba gear. I guess you could have those hanging on your uh, your line at your deco stop, your final deco stop, if you had a long one. I wonder if that's a uh, a real depth or just recommended? Who can tell? And then we have a concept of smart goggles. You know, we had heard in previous weeks that Google goggles weren't going to be for underwater, but a uh, company called Yanko Design has done a mock-up of what they would envision the scuba version of Google goggles being. So they have a GPS for locating divers, a call button to call other divers. Uh, 3D camera and a shot button information displayed would show oxygen levels and other info. Looks like a very busy heads up. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> it's how would you see anything? Does it give a cost on that one? It's it's just uh, a marketing company looking to get uh, attention. They're uh, or a, a industrial designer. So this is what they give to the board of directors and saying, "Hey, we think we should make something like this." And that's when the before the engineers get it and actually go, you crazy, we can't do any of this. But I don't think it's too far away. That sounds that sounds like Dilbert. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was like a, your last uh, past life at work. No. Let's see. Yeah, it. I mean, it looks like a pretty good, pretty interesting mock-up. Like you said, Mac, that's a little busy. But I think isn't that the definition of what those heads-up displays are? Yep, I sent you two others. If you really want to see some other neat stuff scuba mm-hmm. i think i just sent you i hope i did <laughs> yeah uh, so let's see we're taking a look at the first one it's not a cool ex- exposition mm. if you go down ahead uh one for full face diving mask night diver called the cyclops i think that first link you gave me is to your oh crud uh you're gonna have to give me a different link those are the links to your actual email not to an article okay hang on yeah, you'll like this. I mean, I'd like one of these little suckers. Don't know what it'll cost. All right, let me get back to Skype. 
Well, the heads-up display, I know, was it? Uh, was, it's it not Aqu- was it Aqualung? Somebody had the heads-up. Oh yeah, that's, that probably, that's probably a better link. Somebody had the. Was, a link? Let's see, it's still coming up. We'll give that one to the chat room as well. Yeah, full face mask. Okay, yeah, we, we've we've covered this one before. In fact, I just fixed the link in the show notes. Wow, that one is uh, that's got like an industrial version. The Night Diver Cyclops High Performance Underwater Night Vision Monocle Google Permitting Observation or Goggle Permitting Observation System is designed to be modular and comprises a 25 millimeter objective lens high performance second gen image intensifier with battery on off switch 25 millimeter ocular lens. The Night Diver Cyclops is mounted on either of the Dranger Nova full face masks. Both are used worldwide in many commercial and leisure diving as well as marine biologists. Both right and left-handed versions are available. So would this be something if you were a cinematographer doing night stuff, you may want this? That or a voyeur. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to see in the middle of the night underwater as a voyeur, I guess? That's when the people are going to do their nude bathing, man. Oh, okay. See, I I wasn't thinking devious enough. Yeah, okay. Leave it to Mac to be devious. But see, you need a rebreather for that. See, this has got the the open circuit. Yeah. Well, that's why I think one of the links I gave it was supposed to be for the uh, new 300-foot uh, depth on the Poseidon rebreather. Oh. <laughs> so, so you could go and do this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was looking for a, a sub. That's a three-man sub. has everything in it. Uh, Three-hour runtime. It actually has extra dive tanks in it, so you can breathe off of that before you go on your mission. Couple that with your night vision, man. You, you could make a terror of the nudist beaches. Wow, you sure could. Huh. Darren, I just sent you a link on Skype for a, another product I found this week that I'm looking into. Okay, let's see what this one is. Of course, you young guys might not need this. Where's this at? Is this a girdle? Okay, where's this at? I don't say nothing. No. Here, here, no, it, I'll, it, I'll paste it in the other one. <laughs> the sea dive push-on lenses. Yeah, it's a set of <laughs> contact, well, uh, reading glasses for your, your dive mask. I'm going to laugh and say I don't, but that's the reason I went and updated my contacts is because I was having problems. If I don't, if I didn't wear my contacts I had been using, I could actually see really well. I can see up to 24 inches without glasses or contacts fairly well. But uh, with glasses on, anything closer than maybe 16, 18, 18 inches, I can't see. And then with contacts, before the updated prescription, I was I, I was getting that point where if the vis was too bad, I, I couldn't hold my gauges close to my mask because it was too close. But if the vis was bad, I could I it, about the distance I could see it would be into the crappy vis. So. Well, I've been uh, diving with my old gauges while I've been trying to decide what kind of Trimix computer I want to get, and so I uh, I re- realized in my last couple of dives that I was having problems seeing and reading my depth gauge. You know, I could see the numbers, but I couldn't make them out. Ah. So I've got the computer on order, but uh, thought you know if I could find something like this to uh, help make things mm-hmm. a little easier. Uh, you you know who has these? I, I might need I might need both. You know who carries these in stock? My, my Wolf who? sells these also. Yeah, Wolf has the these in stock. Yeah. Does he have these in stock? stock? Yeah, when you walk in the door, just to the left there, they've got the rack with the mass, and right there they got a whole box of them. Oh, uh, no, no. This is this is different, I think. 
And they had regular lenses that could go in there, but these are just small that kind of clip onto a mask. Like if you've got a mask that has a single single piece lens in the front mm-hmm. instead of two separate glasses, yeah, I think yeah. this would. Yeah, no, man, I'll have to check. Yeah, next time I'm there, I'll check it out. Yeah, because it's just a just a little piece. It it kind of sticks on right in the lens. Yeah. Who who was it who had one? Uh, Mac, we did a dive in. Was it Larry or somebody? So we, we've got somebody no. in a club. About two years ago, because he tried, he put some in and then he like, oh, darn it. I can, I can see his face, can't think of his name, but I went ahead and got a pair too. And I just oh. put mine on uh, two dives ago. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, I could see my needle, but I couldn't tell the numbers. So when the needle hit the red, I knew I was down. <laughs> now I can actually see the numbers. So that tell you to hit the J-valve? Of course. Yeah. Besides, you can never outbreed that double hose of mine. <laughs> we don't need no stinking BC. Yeah, good old horse collar. <laughs> well, that does it for the scuba in the news. We, we, we polish that off. Now, this last weekend was Memorial Day, so hopefully everybody had a chance to get out and do some diving. Uh, I was planning on it, and I had Monday all reserved and told everybody don't plan anything i'm going to go diving and i think we had three boats lined up to go out and then i don't know if it was the forecast or what it was but uh everybody kind of said no we're not taking boats it it was the 14 mile hour wind with the 24 gust constant that said let's not do that today well i i kept looking at the marine forecast and they said no more than one to two well they lied (laughs) oh okay so it did get more than that because i'm I'm looking, and it said one to, one to two going down the one, and it was out of the south southeast. So yeah, I was thinking, was yeah. So I, I was thinking, eh, it can't be that bad. But yeah, everybody else said no, they weren't going to. Yeah, I, I saw the winds. I thought were a little high for the amount of waves they were saying. Yeah, where you had the bluffs, you had a, it, it would hop and get out maybe a mile or two before you start getting it. Yeah, but you but can't. But anything do- before that, excuse me, where it's flat, it was a little roughy. So maybe that's why they were showing the lower. Is because of near shore, but for us, we I, I, I consider still near shore. I consider three to five miles near shore. Uh, I consider a couple of yeah. miles. You're still getting out five or seven. Like if you're going to go to the max track, you're going to get a lot of wave action there. You don't get if you're closer to shore. Right. Without a south southwest wind. Yeah. Yeah, because Havana is about a mile and a half, isn't it? It's not even that far offshore. I mean, you're talking 50 feet now, actually less than 50 feet. Yeah. Oh, well, so it didn't happen, but I'm ready. I mean, tanks are primed and everything's all set up, ready to go. Yeah, the river still sucks. Oh, yeah, it's going to suck. there by Merrimont, they still had it in during the uh, flood. Uh-huh. Well, it must have went over on the side because all the steel on the side is all bent. So it's been towed out and up on dry, dry land right now. So uh, hopefully they're going to put a new one in. This is about six inches there, so it's not a lot of fun. No, I don't picture that any of the rivers are doing good this week. It's been raining. In fact, we had a rain just about an hour ago. Yes, a heavy, heavy duty one. Well, I got a few dives in last week. Okay. I, uh, we, we, let's see. Went to Lake Six. Well, was diving up at uh, Ross Township Park in Gull Lake. And then we went over to Lake 16 and did a couple dives there. First time I had actually did a dive in Lake 16. Last time I was there, I got equipment problem and never got under. So it's my first time in Lake 16. That was interesting. Oh, you've never dove Lake 16 before? No. 
Oh, wow. No. Yeah, see, that's a – go ahead, Matt. Uh, Viz at Lake 16 was good. We probably had 15, 20 feet. Oh, wow, that's awesome for Lake 16. Yeah. Yeah, Lake 16, that's – it goes down from here on out. So you probably yeah. hit maximum. How how deep was it before it got dark? It never got dark. We uh, – Oh, wow. I was able to use ambient light all the way down to on the bottom. Wow, that that is that is very unusual. Yeah. Now, so how, the, 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 you know, it didn't silt up or layer. Well, it started to silt if you got down into it, but, um, you know, we could follow the lines and I could see the lines and everything with just ambient light. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that before. Bob and Kurt and I last year, that was a May dive. Yeah, so about this time of year, we had similar conditions. We didn't need a dive light. Yeah, I think we had about 30, 39 on the bottom. Yeah, because as, yeah, as you... It was a little warmer than that. It was like 40, 46 on the bottom. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you even had pretty good warm temperatures because it usually doesn't get much yeah. much warmer than that the whole rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, it'll yeah. St- the thermocline in, later in the summer will be about the platform. Yeah. Uh, and now, then uh, we did a couple dives there, and then we turned around, and the following, yeah, that was over the weekend. That was like Saturday we did that. Sunday we took off, and then uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, we went up to Gilboa. And did dives Tuesday afternoon in Gilboa and Wednesday morning, and uh, went in the deep side of Gilboa. And did uh, did a simulated deco dive to 120. Um, came back actually that no that was a true deco. We did a deco dive at 120. And we did a deco dive to 130. So we got in there and got to see the mushroom farm or all the gnomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got some pictures posted on. Uh, uh, Facebook from that with Tony and I, uh, I'll tell you Rick, uh, Rick Sass, uh, he took some fantastic photos while we were diving, uh, just beautiful crystal clear shots of in Gilboa with plenty of backlight and everything. He really did a fantastic job with that. So he posted the photos and I sent them over. You can find them at the, uh, sub aquatic sports and services, uh, Facebook site or the website. And uh, I've copied them over on the, my Facebook page. So we did that diving. And then uh, that was the last diving I got in. That was a week ago before we took off to spend some time in New Jersey with family. So I'm looking forward to getting back in the water next week and continuing to work on my buoyancy and my configuration and uh, get more proficient with my skills at neutral buoyancy with doubles on. Well, excellent. That's... Uh, now, anything you, I, I'm not going to say anything you're learning, but was there anything unexpected in the last uh, couple dives? Um, no, just continuing to learn, you know, the buoyancy control is so critical uh, because we're trying to shoot bags, um, shoot a bag from, say, 30 feet, maintaining, you know, two to three feet of uh, movement when you're shooting a bag on a reel to the surface and so you've got you know you're putting air into the bag which is going to want to make you buoyant uh, and then you shoot the bag to the surface and it's going to want to drag you up and you got to control the reel so it doesn't tangle or get over wraps and take off from you or do as i did and drop the reel um you know i had it shot the bag got it up was switching over to my deco gas and needed a third hand and ended up dropping my reel I didn't have it locked in place, so when I dropped it, it sunk down. So, you know, it's it's just getting, it becomes muscle memory. You just got to practice, 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 so so many things become, you know, 
conditioned muscle memory to you that it just happens naturally. Uh, yeah. One of the one of the things I find is usually when we're doing a task, I have a tendency to hold my breath. You know, like when I'm working on the reel, getting the bag out of the pocket and hooking the reel up to the bag, and then getting the bag set up to start dumping from my BC instead of filling the bag with my regulator. You know, I try to dump from the BC into the bag so that my buoyancy remains constant. Um, you know, make myself a little bit heavy knowing the bag's going to take me to the surface and I can pull myself back up a little bit with a bag and then you hang off the bag until you get your buoyancy recovered. But that's difficult, you know, with trying to get the hose over your head and get it into the bag. And the bags I'm using um, are new bags and they've got not a duckbill inside them, but more of a, a, a reverse funnel inside the bag. And so I'm not real, I don't really like the bags. They're great bags. They don't leak. They'll stay full, stay inflated, but they're a bit more difficult to fill because of the way they're designed. So I may end up getting a, a different bag as a primary bag and save the other bag for a, a backup. And one of the things that, you know, they're teaching us is you have two different colored lift bags to carry a green or a yellow bag for your normal lift and a red bag for your I got a problem lift. So, you know, when you're diving with this team or this group, that's kind of their messaging configuration up to the surface. If you see a red bag, uh, somebody needs to get in the water, come in and find out what's going on because somebody has a problem. But if you see all green or yellow bags, then, you know, you know, everybody's good. They're just doing their hangs, mm-hmm. which is a neat way to send a message to the surface, especially if you've been diving deep or, you know, you know, you're going to do deco. So that's one of the things I had around because I had a bag I really loved, but it was yellow on one side and green and red on the other. Uh-huh. So you know, it's just different rules for different groups you're diving with. You know, you got to understand what the rules are and what the team concept is, and away you go. So, but other than that, it's been been a lot of fun. And it's been a humbling experience. You know, I, it's like you know, 30 years of diving, and now I'm starting all over with a new configuration and learning many new things all over, buying new gear, uh, redoing the. You know, learning buoyancy control again with the doubles, learning different team concept and team rules because I've been such an independent diver most recently. You know, you, you dive long enough with a buddy or you, you get so much so used to diving the wrecks, you almost become a an independent diver, um, you know, especially the way our, our group dives. You know, so much of the diving we do is same lake, same time. Yeah. Uh, or same river, same time. But this is totally different. This is definitely, you know, you and buddy, you and your teammate. So, uh, and one thing with the, the tech configuration, with the doubles, you know, buoyancy is such a, uh, an interesting thing with doubles because you you really work hard to maintain neutral buoyancy at all times and neutral trim as much as you can. So definitely been a, a humbling and uh, learning experience for me. I have a much greater respect for the people who can can do it than I did before I started trying to do it myself. <laughs> it's a lot harder than you think. I mean, is even a little more difficult. So yeah. uh, you, you'll get there. I will get there, no doubt about it. I'm just continuing to work at it and looking forward to spending more time diving the doubles this summer. And probably will, you know, unless unless I run the problem of not being able to get back on the boat with them, I'll probably dive doubles most of the time off my boat to uh, just continue to build that muscle memory. Yeah, yeah, you just gotta get used to the gear yeah, yeah just may, so, maybe not have had to have some beefier taglines for uh when you take them off 
Yeah, yeah, I may, I may, may take them off in the water and uh, haul them up versus trying to walk them up the ladder. I definitely need to get my ladder over to your son to get him to uh, do some weld job and change that mounting system on the ladder around on the back of my boat this year. So yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, well, we'll, 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 we'll get you set up. If nothing else, we can use the ladder as a model and maybe make a new one. Yeah. Because as far as configuration, it's not bad, but. Yeah, it may make sense. I don't know if it may, does it make sense to go to a steel ladder as opposed to a aluminum? Uh, probably wouldn't make a whole lot of difference, but I think I may want to, you know, beef it up a little more. Definitely beef up the hinge uh-huh. and maybe mount it somehow off the transom versus off of the swim platform. Because there's a, a lot of weight coming up that ladder when you're you're carrying the doubles. Well, I've, I've even felt that way just with my normal tanks because I like to, if I can do it, you know, I'll take the fins off. But mm-hmm. I like to come up geared. Yes. Because it just it, it just seems to be easier. Everything's all together. You can swing it off, get it up in the boat, and you're not having to. You know, it, it just makes it quicker if you got four divers in the water, just yeah. to be able to walk up the ladder and and have everything. Well, that's primarily the way the boat was set up: is get up on the platform, swing around, and get on the box, and then we can pull your gear off and drop it right in the box for you, or in the storage area off the box. Uh, I always feel safer having all my gear on until I'm, you know, sitting on the box. If you guys ever watch me come up, I basically keep that regulator in my mouth until I'm sitting on the box because we've had some rough weather and some waves where you've gotten thrown off the platform or you're halfway up and you get washed back in. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've been caught in the water before without a regulator in my mouth and it's not something I'd like to do. So, you know, I just keep that reg in the mouth until it's, uh, until I'm definitely on something firm and don't have to worry about going back in. Yeah. Now, sometimes I personal preference. No, that makes sense. I, I, I agree. Uh, now there's times I've taken the weight belt off. Uh, you know, if you take the BC and the tanks off, then you know, you're you're going to be positively buoyant. So unless you get knocked yeah. out and passed out, you'll you're you're okay. But no, that's it's it's a good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll be making boat modifications this year. Always making boat modifications, trying to make improvements to the uh, the get wet to make it a better dive platform for everybody. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm anxious to get out in Lake Michigan. I was I I was convinced I would be out this last weekend, and now it's now I just got to figure out how to make it happen again. I almost, I, 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 if if I hadn't had other obligations, I almost took a day off this week and uh, did some traveling to go scuba diving, but just couldn't fit it in. So, Mac, did you get anything, any diving in, or you just? Yeah, uh, magician again today. Oh, okay. And um, I think we had 52 degrees at about 25 feet, visibility plus 10. At that depth, uh, the weeds are really down. They've had good results with their uh, program of uh, de-weeding, same as pawpaw. So, uh, ain't no reason not to get out there, people. Now, you get any good treasure this last time out, or no? No, we were still looking for that motor for that gentleman, and uh, we were very the last two weeks. I've been very surprised at the lack of junk. Uh, in that section of the lake, I don't think I've seen five cans, two bottles the whole time. Oh wow! Uh, oh, miles that's going to tank your butt up. Say again. What part? Say again, of the, Jim. What part of the lake are you diving in, Mac? What uh, part of the lake are the you diving lake shore, in? The lakeshore side. Uh, I'm trying to think of the address, but you know the cutout that if you're at the marina and that canal goes to the marina, if you come out. Yeah. That section of the lake, uh, the silt is really deep, though. 
But saw yeah, a lot of fish end, today. South end of Lakeshore Drive uh, there behind the marina. Say again? At south end of Lakeshore Drive right behind the marina. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the deeper sections are further up. There's some pretty good holes up there I've heard that I haven't been able to get into. I think we've plotted them, but haven't dropped into them yet. Yeah, the, the guy's house we're off of, if you go straight out from his dock, you had a 50-foot hole. Uh, that's right on the way to Rattlesnake Island. And then where we're looking at, there's a section there that's about 40 feet deep. And those are pretty much the deepest places out there. Well, we'll have, to, have you been side scanning it? No, no. We were, you know, using his directions looking for a yeah. motor. Yeah, we'll side scan it sometime, and I think we'll find some deeper holes further north on that side. Yeah, but the water's fine. Get in, get wet, people. Yeah. Stretch that tube back out. Well, I'm ready. I am so ready. <laughs> it's not even funny. It's been seem. It seems like it's been so long. This is very unusual for you, especially since this is coming up on June this weekend. Oh, uh, I know. No, I. It's just. It's. It's. It's almost been a curse. And in fact, maybe we'll call it a curse. We'll call it the curse of. 2013 but well you know why that happened don't you i don't know why what did you state on one of your podcasts before the year started I... this is going to be your better year you're going to have oh yeah well that, thousand that... <laughs> uh, yeah you just okay. cursed yourself when you did that yeah well i'm gonna have to make it up we're, we're gonna get some some time in i may have to i may have to pick up a bank of tanks you know so that when i get a chance i'll just go out and log eight or ten hours a day well, we've only been doing single tanks, and it's like, man, I'm way out of shape. Yeah. And ibuprofen sure tastes good <laughs> about two mm-hmm. hours later. Well, I'm I'm probably in the best shape I've been in four or five years. I just am not getting out there and diving. But part of it is I've what I blame it on is I've had these immovable obligations where they're on the calendar and you have to go do them. And it's just that's when the the good weather is is when you got something else planned. Because it's not that I haven't had weekends where I'm just sitting around going, well, yeah, I can go and do this or I could go dive, but it's just not good diving conditions. And I'm, I just really haven't been motivated to go drive for a day to go do a one-hour dive somewhere. That's why I like Pawpaw Lake. I don't have to dive or drive an hour. Yeah, Pawpaw. I mean, Pawpaw's looking good right now to me. Yes, it is. <laughs> we are way down. Yeah, maybe that might have to be it. i got to figure out verify what's going on the weekend maybe there might be a papa lake weekend if well, nobody's say, i know we're supposed to have thunderstorms this weekend but run be at the the quarry you know that big quarry you drive over when you go to chicago yeah goes over it. Uh, yeah I... it's open this weekend for tours and now i'm hopefully i'm going out to see if i can find me a trilobite i'm looking for some fossils this weekend oh okay that's cool hey if you want to go for trilobites sometime let me know we'll head down to indy we're at uh, the quarry west of Indianapolis that uh, they dive the quarry and they've got a separate pit where they're uh, constantly bringing up trilobites. What's your quarry's name? Do you know? I don't remember. I'll have to go back and look at my log because Zach and I went down and dove it a couple of years ago. We took the motor home, went down, dove the quarry, and then went over to Indianapolis for the uh, Coca-Cola 400 and made a weekend out of it. Oh, nice. Okay. Which is something we could probably do again if you guys wanted to. Yeah, I, I maybe we just need to have some backup plan set up, or we we put in the calendar and say this is going to be a dive weekend, and plan one is the big lake, and if that gets blown out, then we all load up in a vehicle and head someplace else. Well, that is the advantage of quarries, other than lightning. That's about the only thing that stops you then. Yeah, 
We'll see you later, Scuba Doc. Yeah, he uh, says he got to go. Fire department sending trucks to help with the tornado near us. Wow. Where's he at? Where's he from? Uh, let's Kansas. See. Kansas. Damn. So yeah, they've got a whole uh, section of bad weather there right now. They really expect to be spawning a lot of tornadoes tonight. Well, sounds like it's happening. Yeah, he was right in it. So we had a bunch here in Michigan last night. The tornadoes? Yeah, north of us. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I was driving home tonight from the between uh, school where my son had a program and coming home and there's a lot of those you know those basketball hoops people have where they have the wheels and the platforms yeah you could see three or four of those where they had hit hard so we're having some pretty strong straight line winds happening mm. you know, I mean, he was in independence independence kansas okay yeah so if you it's that time of year you got to be safe but yeah. Speaking of that time, sounds like we're probably getting close to that time, aren't we? Yeah, I, I think we are. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting close there. Make sure you head on over to the website, www.scubaobsessed.com. I'm trying to catch up in the show notes. I put about four or five episodes up this last week. Uh, I've got to do a, a few more this week. And then also I'm working on uh, cleaning up some of the dead links. I didn't realize there were so many, but. Uh, what happens is because we link to the in the show notes to give credit for the the news articles that we use, but many of the I'm noticing many of the news websites they don't keep their articles up much more than six to nine months, so you get back to some of the older episodes and they're not there. So what I'm doing is when that happens, I'm unlinking the link, but I'm leaving the link there. So in some cases, if you work hard enough, you may be able to find the article another way. Uh, depends on what the reason the link went away is if they used a new tool, then it might just be the link changed or sometimes they just only leave them up so long. So they're, they're lost. I mean, to me, when you make content, you want to leave it up as long as possible. Kind of a search engine optimization tip. And then the mud club site, we've got, we've had a few uh, activities posted on there. So now did Kirk, uh, do you know if Kirk got out this weekend? Uh, I do not know. I know Mr. Curtis, I think went out with the uh, fast group. On the Wednesday night or the Wednesday evening dive, you know, it starts around six o'clock. I thought he went to that one, mm-hmm. but that's the only one I know of. Yeah, he, he pretty much is religious about hitting those Wednesday night dives. Yeah. I'm just trying to get the guys to tell me when they go and take a picture so I can put it on our site. Yep, we'll get on the website. And then I've, I've been doing a whole lot of research on different dive-related projects. I've had uh, during my lunch breaks doing some research. I downloaded an amazing uh, white paper or article. It was actually somebody's thesis on anchors. And that w- that started with Egyptian times all the way up to the uh, mid to late 1800s is where it ended. Wow. Sounds interesting. He, he went into a lot of detail, and he's still alive. The, the guy who wrote the, wrote the paper, he published it in 93. So I, I almost, I'm almost tempted to contact him and see if he's still doing it because uh, – he may appreciate some measurements on some anchors that we've got around here. Yeah. And maybe the measurements, we'll have to give him the measurements for uh, one anchor in particular and see if he can help us date it. Yeah. It's, it's very possible because what I was looking at another article that somebody had published on the Thomas Hume and they were saying, you know, why, you know, they dated the shipwreck and I think they dated the shipwreck correctly. But what I did notice is they said, well, based on this anchor it had to be this time. And maybe they didn't put everything in the the posting, but I, I looked at that and I said, oh, well, that means that it's this. And I was trying to draw a conclusion 
to max rec based on that. And then I read this article and it changed everything. He had a completely different approach on the anchors and I didn't realize it, but the wooden stock and the steel stocks or iron stocks came in and out of favor. So there was actually iron stocks all the way into the 15, 1400s. And there's the, the, the wood stocks were on certain sized and certain type anchors. Some of the, the British man of wars had as many as eight or nine anchors that they would routinely use when anchoring. So, and I, and I, and the, he was pretty much talking about English anchors, but I, it made me wonder how, how much does that apply to the Great Lakes? Did the Great Lakes, was it unique? Did anchor, were anchors consistent with what was going on in the rest of the world? Sounds like a very interesting item to read. Yeah. So I, I've got the, the paper, so I'll, I'll send you a copy so you can, uh, you can read it. But it just, it was like, it made me want to redo it. It's one of those where you'd like to use his paper because he, he cited all his references. You'd like to take that and then publish it and, and make some sort of blog or wiki on it because it's just, it's just fascinating. You wouldn't think anchors would be that interesting, but it's the most important part of the ship in many cases. I mean, the, the, the British Navy has got a lot of laws and regulations just on the anchors. Uh, at one point in time, they had an anchor smith and they were paying... 20 hammers to help the, the anchor Smith. And it was one of the highest paid jobs on the shipbuilding site. And they were having a huge amount of failures. In fact, they even listed one, which was the, uh, the bounty. Uh, they, in that particular case, they broke many anchors. Uh, anchors were notorious for coming apart because the metallurgy at the time wasn't sophisticated. So, but those are the type of articles that I like to build up because you could definitely, I, I believe you can tell the, the age of the anchor if you know enough information about it. So it makes us think that we need to uh, get as much details as we can about that anchor in particular. And I'm almost wondering if there are any marks on it. Good question. Yeah. So, because that was a substantial investment where like your dead eyes and stuff that, you know, there's, there's, you know, many dozens of them on a vessel, but the anchor, there wasn't a lot. Now, uh, also, one thing was boats frequently had to have two forward anchors to hold them. So I'm I'm wondering if we still have another anchor out there. Possibly, no, it wasn't on the uh, windlass. Yeah, there's yeah. only one chain that I noticed. There's only one chain coming out the hose pipe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if we had two chains or one. Uh, one chain coming out the hose pipe. If they're carrying a second anchor, it may be down in the uh, the forward locker uh-huh uh, if there were a second anchor on it it's hard to say yeah yeah i mean it's a small enough vessel they might not need it uh the one thing i did learn and when you read the paper you'll see is they talked about formulas and he said every every formula was crap <laughs> because mm. the they definitely use formulas to design their anchors but because of the process of making them you can't reverse engineer it so you can't take you can't take what the anchor ended up being and then try and figure out what vessel it was. Because a lot of times they would start with a, a pattern or design, but it never quite ended up that way. So, because they, there were so many different measurements at so many different spots, but it was still a handmade item. Okay. Well, I could go on forever on, on, on this sort of stuff, but I, I think we've delayed the inevitable long enough. So, you guys ready? Uh, I guess. Well, this one I think is a, is a little different format than the one last week. So we'll see how it goes. So it, this one is in, is in honor of the boat diving 
going on. So it said, uh, the things you won't hear from a dive operator when booking a trip. Hey, you're the first guest since the accident. <laughs> mm. uh, the next one is, sorry, we can't take reservations until last week's group is found. Uh, the next one is, our boats are Reef Diver 1 and Reef Diver 3. Reef Diver 2 is our first dive of the day located 130 <laughs> feet, five miles out. <laughs> We can make you a really good deal if you know something about boat engines. <laughs> don't worry about the currents. If we don't find you, I'm sure the search and rescue will. <laughs> that whale shark pictured in our brochure is the only one we've seen in 20 years of diving here. And uh, finally, no, we don't have a shark dive, but we do feature Portuguese man-of-war encounter. <laughs> oh, so those are the things you don't want to hear from a dive operator when you're booking your trip that's for sure so until next week go out there and get wet and stay safe people and no trilobites what were they you're looking for man trilobites trilobites were harmed in the making of tonight's show Recording has been completed.